0: Well, good morning redeemer church it's a joy to be with you today as i mentioned earlier my name is tj smith and i serve or work with the gulf theological seminary teaching classes working as the dean of students um it's a it's a joy to be able to preach uh, to you today now typically usually uh, pastor dave Furman and the other pastors or elders will be preaching through a book of the bible um, and they'll go passage by passage chapter by chapter like we've been doing with the gospel of john Um, And as you know, last week and this week, Pastor Dave was unexpectedly unable to preach um, due to being uh, COVID positive. And so we're we're grateful that next week he'll be back with us to be able to preach and and join us opening up the book, uh, The Gospel of John, again. And so that'll be a really good uh, joy for us, and that'll be good news, right? I've got some bad news, namely, if you were here last week, my associate or colleague, Dr. Adam Brown preached for us from the Old Testament, a banquet of Old Testament narrative and theology. I warn you, I will not be able to exceed his time frame. Because if you you recall, he went a little bit over an hour. I won't be able to approach that, but thank you, Dr. Brown. Now, as I get to be uh, teaching and preaching, or teaching in classes, I like to sometimes give pop quizzes, you know, quiz time. And so even tonight, or today, there'll be a few times where I say something like quiz time, and especially for the young, oh, we actually need an answer, right? So for, just to start off right now, kids in particular, what is the highest, tallest mountain on earth? Yeah, Mount, I see a hand there. Mount Everest, that's right. It's also called Sagarmatha in South Asia the Himalayas, it's 8,849 meters tall. I mean, just imagine how many miles that is above us way down here, Dubai sea level, right? It rises to prominence. It soars above the earth. It soars into the sky. And today, we likewise are going to soar into the sky because we're going to be talking about one of the highest privileges of the gospel, what it means to know and love God as our Father. You heard the passage read and we're going to read it again and even as we read it though I want you to recognize that this passage in particular is not talking directly about human adoption. You know in human adoption you have like a, a parent, mother and father and they had adopt a child into their home and it's a beautiful experience and it's, it's, it's wonderful. This passage doesn't directly speak about this. This passage is talking about our spiritual adoption, our our divine adoption. Uh, Theologian J.I. Packer says uh, that uh, adoption is the highest privilege that the gospel offers. I mean, that's a pretty amazing statement to make. And so today, that's what we're going to be talking about is our divine adoption, our spiritual adoption, being adopted as sons. Because today, I want you to embrace your identity redeemer church you are adopted sons of a great father i want you to revel in it so that the rest of today as you talk with people over lunch as you chat with people at dinner time as you fellowship with people right after the service that you would revel in your identity as a beloved adopted son of god and to do that we're going to ask a couple questions of the passage and we're going to answer those questions from the word of god Now, Galatians 4, the passage before us, was written by the Apostle Paul, and he wrote it to answer some very specific questions, some actual challenges, some big problems, and one of the problems that he writes to address is, how is it, friends, how is it that we are called sons of Abraham? How are we called the children of the promise? How are we who are not Jews, who, who are not actual descendants of Abraham, how do we receive the promises given to Abraham? How do we inherit the kingdom of God? And so Paul, one of the things that he does in this book is he over and over again is trying to address how is it that we experience God's uh, kingdom? How do we inherit that, right? And the way he's gonna answer that, he's gonna say it's by faith. By faith, in Jesus Christ, we receive or inherit the blessings that, that were promised to Abraham. By faith, through faith, through Jesus Christ, we become the inheritors of this promise. Now you can see some of these elements here in chapter three, before chapter four happens, right? Chapter three, verse seven, Paul says, Know then, that is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Chapter three, verse 26, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. Then down in verse 29, And if you are Christ's, Then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. And then we get Galatians 4, our passage today. I'm going to read it, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to answer some of those questions that I talked about. So let's read together. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he's the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father, So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Father in heaven, we come to you now because of the son and through the spirit. And Lord, I ask that you would illumine, reveal this passage uh, to us. Help us to see your glory given to us in adoption. Help us, Father, to, to revel in it to experience anew, to be refreshed by your great love, that we would be called children of God. Heavenly Father, we ask this in the name of Jesus, the Son of God. Amen. Now, this word that we saw there, adoption, adopted as sons, in Greek, it's a, it's a compound word, one word called huiathesia. You want to say that with me? Ah, you did better than I thought, yeah, huiathesia, yeah, it's two words uh, that are brought together, huias, meaning son, or male, not female, and thesia, place, to place or to make, and they put it together, huiathesia, to make or place as a son, and Paul uses it five times, once here, twice in the book of Romans, chapter 8, once in Ephesians 1, and then once in Romans 9, and each time he's talking about this, this concept of God placing in his own family adopted children, children that were not his, you know, that, that were not a part of his family. And so uh, this word uh, conveys or gives to the adopted child all the rights and privileges of a biological child, adoption. Now, in the first century, in, in Rome, this is a very common word, a very common idea. Perhaps in your own culture or context, you haven't seen adoption or it's not normal, and that's okay. I've had people come and say, I've never seen adoption, you know, before. And that's all right. But in their context, it was very common, very normal. In the Roman context, we at to see this concept of adoption had to do with a father figure, not, not a, a husband and a wife, but a father who had the right to adopt a, a son. It was not an infant, not like a little baby, and never a little girl. It was a, it was a young man, typically. And he would adopt or place that young man as his heir because he didn't have one. Maybe he didn't have a son to inherit, or maybe his son had died, and so that that father figure wanted to leave or extend his glory, his name, his property to an heir, and so he places or adopts someone to be his heir. Now, Paul the apostle uses this word right here, in Galatians chapter 4, to talk about we as Christians, what, what do we as disciples of Jesus experience as followers of Christ? Testing, (laughs) testing. There I am, I'm back again. Yeah, so what do we experience as adopted sons, as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ? And so it's a metaphor, right? It's an image or a picture of what God has done for us. And so let's unpack this image, let's unpack this picture today through a series of questions. Like number one, who does this adoption? Who's performing the adoption? Now, if you look back at your passage in in chapter 4, it says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son. And then in verse 6, it refers to the Abba Father. The Father initiates this adoption. The Father initiates it, and then He sends the, the Son, and He sends the Spirit to bring the adoption about. The Father plans it, and the Son executes it, and then the Spirit enlivens it. Do you see the the work of the Trinity here? Father, Son, and Spirit involved in our adoption to God. And yet, at the same time, we see here the one driving it, planning it, and executing it is the Father. The Father adopts us. He draws us, picks us, put, and then places us in his family. The father does this. And, and you know what kind of father he is, right? Quiz time. What is our father like? Describe him. He is patient, gracious, loving, merciful. Okay, I got a, I got a few rows here but I can't hear much else. He's compassionate, he's almighty, he's powerful. We say he's holy, holy, holy. He's a God of justice and graciousness, steadfast love and mercy. Is this our God and Father? This is he who has planned and executed our adoption as sons. He is not like so many of our earthly fathers, right? So many of us, we think sometimes about God's fatherness in a way maybe that compares to or contrasts the way our human father, our earthly father was. And so if our father was maybe distant, we maybe think of God as being distant. Or if our, if, if our father was estranged or, or emotionally disconnected, we think of maybe God the father is emotionally, maybe he's like that. You know, some of us, our, our dad was maybe a really good father and, and blessed us with many benefits and, and education and... and, and, and uh, defense and helped us be a secure life. And and so we think, oh, that's what God does. He gives me good things. He protects me. Some of us maybe think about God's fatherness in our own terms of our own failures. I'm a father. I think sometimes I just, I don't work hard enough. Sometimes I don't do enough. And maybe, maybe we think of God's fatherness in the same way of our own fathers or, or our own failures as fathers. And yet God is not like us, is he? God as father is not like we ourselves or even the the biological father that that God has given us. God is so much more. And it is this God, the holy and transcendent and gracious and kind and merciful God who adopts us as his own. And so question one, who adopts us is the father. A second question that we can see in this text is, who does the father adopt? What kind of people or children does this father adopt? Now, the text here describes a little bit of this. We see this in verses 1, 2, and 3, right? We see an image here, a picture. He says, I mean, the heir, as long as he's a child, is no different from a slave. And there, there's a a picture here that he's describing of like a large house with lots of kids playing around and you can imagine them like throwing mud on each other or playing tag or wrestling and if you just come into the house and you don't know who they are, the heir of the house, like the, the, the son of the master and the son or the children of, of the slave, you can't tell the difference because they're all just playing, they got mud all over them and they're yelling and fighting and playing, right? You can't tell the difference. yet. Once you know, if you know that family, if you know that household, you know who the master is, and so you know who the son of the master is. You know who the slave is, and so you know who the children of the servants and the slaves are. And Paul describes this image for us. He says, in this household, there is an heir. The master of the house is the heir. He's going to inherit everything, and the children of the slave or the servant, they're going to inherit nothing. And if you look there in verse 3, in the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the various elementary principles of the world. God, uh, Paul here calls us, describes us as being in a, in a form, a kind of slave, a slave to sin, he says up in Galatians 3.22. That we were enslaved under the law, Galatians 3.23. He talks about us being enslaved to the the elementary principles of the world here. And then in just a few verses later, look at verse 8. He says, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those things that are by nature, not God's. Beloved, we, we were born into this world. With several dimensions of debt and enslavement, enslavement to sin and and darkness, enslaved to the debt even that we owed God because of our sin. We were born separated from God. And yet in adoption, in adoption, what does God do? He, he, He bridges the separation. He brings us back to him and puts us in his family. Before we were spiritual orphans as it were now here's uh, here's where human adoption like the idea of human adoption that you may have seen or thought about and divine or spiritual adoption uh, is is maybe different because in human adoption you can imagine a child who's adopted being relatively innocent actually completely innocent they're usually a victim they've not done anything to deserve the the plight in which they've been found they they haven't done anything wrong i mean if if you were an orphan it's not your fault. If you are an orphan now, you did nothing to deserve that sense of separation or abandonment from your biological family. And, and in this context, in human adoption, that child is beloved of God, created in his image, gloriously and beautifully made. But now think about, think about this with me. Spiritually speaking, what was our condition? Spiritually speaking, what is the condition of all human beings born? We have sinned. We carry with us this burden of guilt and shame, and we are, we are broken, and in fact, we are separated from God because of what we have done and who we are. We experience separation because we are spiritually Dead. And so when God looks upon us, when God looked upon you, he did not see this adorable, beautiful little baby. And he thinks, oh man, this kid is going to be a superhero someday. This kid is going to change the world. And so therefore I'll adopt him or her. No, no, no. When God looked upon you and me, he saw our true spiritual condition. A sinner. We were slaves of sin. But now, in Christ, we are slaves of righteousness. We can obey. We were sons of disobedience. Now, sons of righteousness. We can know him and love him and obey him and please him. You know, I've often um, asked people, when did you become a follower of Jesus? When did you become a Christian? I even asked some of you that, and some of you have asked me that question, and one of my favorite answers is, I'll hear someone say, oh, TJ, you know, ten years ago, or two years ago, or two months ago, I heard the gospel, I heard this message that God had sent his son to die for me on the cross and to, to be raised from the dead for, for my shame and, and for my sin. And I trusted in Jesus Christ. And when I turned and I trusted in Jesus Christ, he saved me from my sin. And that's why I know him and love him and I obey him because I'm a Christian. And I praise God every single time I hear some kind of story like that. And yet Some people, when I've asked that question, they look a little confused. And they say, well, TJ, you know, I'm, you know... I was born into a Christian family in fact I've got like 17 generations of Christian family ahead of me and I got a good Christian name and I've always been a Christian well friend if that's you I have to tell you nobody is born a Christian Christians are made Christians are placed by God into his family through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. Disciples or followers of Jesus are not born followers or disciples of Jesus. They are are made new creations through the grace of God. And so today we recall, we remember that even here in this passage, Jesus Christ came to make us Adopted sons of God through his redemption. So, who does the Father adopt? The Father adopts sinners. And he makes them his own. You see, another question here. Question three. Why did the Father adopt us? What was his motive? What was his reason, his purpose? You know, if we're so bad, like I just described, our spiritual condition is pretty bleak. What? did the father adopt us maybe maybe he saw some good in us like he saw some maybe some beauty Uh, maybe he he considered that maybe someday we would have earned or merited or be able to pay back all that he's given us right this is a good question why would god adopt us and put us into his family well do you remember those those romans that roman idea by the way pop quiz what was that that word again (sighs) quiethesia who are placed as sons. Well, for that, from that Roman context, it was, but why would the father adopt? Well, his motive was pretty simple. He didn't have an heir. He didn't have somebody who could inherit his, his land or his property or his, his status. And so he was motivated, hey, I want to adopt or, or place this person as my son so that he could extend that, right? What's God's motive? Well, for that, we want to look over at Ephesians chapter 1. Look at Ephesians chapter one. We can see God's motive. You know, in in modern cultures, people adopt for lots of reasons. People might adopt for some humanitarian reason. Some people might adopt because they want a bigger family. Some might adopt because they're infertile. Why did God choose to place in his family a whole bunch of people that didn't originally belong? Look at Ephesians 1. Verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. Did you see that? Why did God adopt us if he didn't need to? In in love, he predestined to adopt us as sons. It says, according to to the good purpose of his will, he adopted us as his sons. It says, to the praise of his glorious grace, he adopted us as his sons. So the Father did not adopt us because He needed us, as if there was some deficiency in God, right? God was not lonely. God was not infertile. God desired to extend His glory, His gracious glory, to us so that He would be praised and maximally glorified by His people so that we could experience His love in our hearts, in our lives, and His love one with another. Why did the Father adopt us? Because he loved us. So we would glorify him. So that we would experience his life among us. Question four. How did the Father adopt us? What was the process of this adoption? You see there in verse five, back in Galatians 4. So flip back to Galatians 4 if you haven't there. Verse 5, it says, you know, he sent forth his son, born of woman, born of the law, to redeem those who are under the law. And we see here that God adopted us through redemption. You know, the only way God could adopt us, the only way was to purchase us, to buy us, to, to bring us back, to pay a debt so that he could put us into his family. And so, think about it this way. The only way God could adopt you into his family is if he has paid your debt, if he's paid the redemption price for you. And and he's done that through Jesus Christ, the perfect Son of God. Now for some of you, it may be strange to think of Jesus Christ as the Son of God. Maybe those are words that aren't familiar to you, that Jesus is called the Son of God. Well, he's called the Son of God many, many times, hundreds of times in the New Testament. In fact, historically in Christianity, we've identified Jesus as the Son of God and the Son of Man fully God and fully man. Now, when Christians say this, we, we don't mean, we don't mean that, Jesus, uh, that the Father and Mary had some relationship one with another, right? The Father has no body. That is not what Christianity teaches. Historic Christianity has always taught that when Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago came down incarnate, born of Mary, born under the law, as this passage alludes to, that he was 100% divine, son of God, 100% human, son of man. Now, because he is both God and man, he can provide the perfect sacrifice for you and for me. He can provide the perfect redemption price for us, being fully God and fully man. He can satisfy God's wrath while also representing us as human. And so even in this passage, we see this illusion that Jesus Christ is both the one who pleases God and represents us. Yeah, you know, throughout this book of Galatians, we see other allusions to what Jesus Christ has done for us. Galatians 1, verse 3 says, Grace to you, peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. Galatians 2.20, Paul says, The life I now live in the flesh I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me, who delivered himself up for me. Jesus was delivered up so that we might experience the love of the Father. Galatians 3.13, we heard earlier, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Or here in Galatians 4, born under the law, born of woman, to redeem those who are under the law that we might be called sons of God. Now, beloved, adoption is freely given to us, right? There's there's no payment that we give. it's It's free for us. It's a gift that's not earned. It's not of a work. It's not something that you have to have merited. It's not as if in two years from now, you have moved yourself a little closer to God so then God looked down and said, oh, yeah, 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 she's pretty cool. I'll adopt her, right? It's not like that. Adoption is not based on anything intrinsic within us. It's extrinsic. It's that, it's that which God, looking down and seeing us, when we trust in the Lord Jesus, when we, when we put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and we trust in Him, and He saves us, He places us in His family. And so, though adoption is free to us and for us, it was catastrophically costly for the Son of God. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, had to die so that we would not have to die. And so in this context, believer, Christian, God loves you so much that he sent his son to die for you, to purchase you, to pay your debt, to place you in his family. In divine adoption, God the Father makes as his sons all who trust in his one true son. Now, a couple days ago, Friday, I was talking about this with one of my daughters, about this passage, and she got a little upset, a little emotional, perhaps understandably. And she asked me a question. It's a question that likely half of you in the room, at least, should be asking. It's a good question. Do you know what she asked me? She said, Daddy, why do you keep saying sons? Sons. Why not sons and? Right. Why no daughters? You keep saying adopted as sons, adopted as sons, adopted as sons. Where's adopted as? Daughters. And, and I would say it's a great question, especially for half of you who are ladies, women. Are you adopted as sons? It's a great question, right? And in this passage, we actually see a really important reason for why we're called adopted as sons and not adopted as sons and daughters. Because, you know, when Paul makes this statement, he clearly knows that there are women here in the letter read. He clearly knows even today, 2,000 years later, God intended that that there would be a large group of people, men and women, hearing the letter. And and even up in in chapter three, verse 28, he says there, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's no male and female for you all one, in Christ Jesus. And so he knows that that grandmothers and widows and single and married and young and old women are listening to the letter. You know, Paul recognizes and he teaches, we see in this letter, that maleness and femaleness in the kingdom of God have no significance. In other words, they both share equally in salvation. Maleness is not inherently better than femaleness. Men do not access God or relate to God in a superior way than women. Spiritually speaking, we both access God directly on the finished work of Jesus Christ. So why the focus on sonship? Well, talks to maybe our, our, our fourth question, or maybe our fifth question, what does the father's adoption accomplish? What happens in and through adoption? What do we get from it, you might say? Do you remember in Roman times, In the, the, see, and in Roman times, that father, what did, what did he gain? He gained an heir. But what did the adopt, what did the adopted kid get? Well, for him, everything changed. When that young man was placed as the son of an adoptive father, everything changed for him. He got a new name. His name was changed. He got a new identity. His identity became that of his, of his new adoptive dad. If, if before he were the son of a slave, if he's adopted by a Roman senator, what's his identity now? The Roman senator. If before his family owed a lot of debts financially, once he's adopted, he, he know those, those ties are severed. Now he has all the rights of inheritance of his, of his new adopted father. He gets a new name, a new identity, a new status. Whatever his, his father's status was, uh, is, the adoptive status, now that's his status. You know, listen up, he became the heir the heir of everything. And this is what's important for you ladies. And so listen up. In Roman context, in Roman law, a a, a woman, a, a girl, a daughter could not receive the inheritance. Inheritance was only passed from father to son. And so when Paul describes all of us, men and women, as being sons adopted, the heir, what he's saying is that all of you in Christ Jesus receive the inheritance. Whether you are female or male makes no difference in receiving the kingdom of God. All of us are treated as adopted sons. And so what he does is he, he kind of undermines or changes their idea uh, in the first century Rome of what adoption was. When he says all of you men and women and children can become heirs of God. Receiving the inheritance of the Father when you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. In a sense, he says that women, you are sons of God, treated with all the rights and privileges of the one son of God, Jesus Christ. God looks upon you with the same love that he has for his son, Jesus. And so we all become heirs of God. We all become heirs, sons of God, made and placed in his family. You know, uh, several decades before Jesus Christ was born, Jesus was born 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem. Several decades before that, there was a young man um, born named Gaius Octavius. And Octavius was, was raised in a, kind of an elite family. He had a good education, was a bright young lad. But when he was 19 years old, everything changed for him. Because when he was 19 years old, Octavius's great-great-uncle adopted him. And when Octavius was adopted, uh, that great-great-uncle died. Now, that great-great-uncle was Julius Caesar, the emperor of Rome. And so when Julius Caesar died, who became emperor? Octavius. Octavius' name was changed to Augustus. And he ascended to the throne and became one of history's greatest living leaders, Caesar Augustus. How did Caesar Augustus get the throne? Through adoption. He inherited the throne. What do we gain then, Christian? What do we gain through our adoption? What happens to us? Well, I mean, in brief, our name is changed. We're we're transformed. We get a new identity. We have a new status. We are no longer treated as, as slaves, right? Slaves to sin. We are transformed. We are changed. We are now sons of the Most High God. We are are given freedom. Did you see even that last verse, verse 7 of our section? So you, beloved, are no longer a slave but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God. This reminds me, though, even when I think about this, being a son of God. Doesn't the father already have a son? Quiz time. Who is the heir of all things? To whom do all things belong? Who possesses the keys of life and death? Who upholds the universe by the word of his power? Who is the almighty and most holy savior? It is Jesus Christ. God the Father has a son. And yet it is in and through Jesus the Son that God designed he desired, designed, and then he implemented this, this plan to bring all of us to him. And so, in Jesus, the true son, perfect son, the son of God, we become true sons. And we get a new name and a new identity and a new status. We get a new family. And when we look around today, we're going we're to celebrate communion we're going to break bread and and we're going to remember that we are not just isolated individuals living in our own and thinking in our heads but actually we belong to a a diverse and beautiful family united by the spirit of god even in this passage talking about the spirit we've already sung it we who are in christ and our sons god the father has also sent the spirit of his son into our hearts and the spirit cries out Abba, Father within us. It reminds me of Romans 8, where it says the same language there. We cry out to God, Abba, Father. And so, beloved, you have direct access to the Almighty God because you are an adopted son of God. In adoption, everything changes for us. In adoption, we experience direct relationship, to an almighty god now you've heard it mentioned already first john 3 1. oh what great love is this that god would love us would call us his own children now, i know some of you doubt some of you doubt you wonder how could god love me is it really true that God knows me, knows my name, knows everything about me, and yet still fully, completely accepts me in Jesus. How can that be possible? I think part of that is we can conceive it. We can imagine, like in a human adoption or a human world, we can imagine someone loving a biological child maybe more than an adopted child. People would imagine that. They say that. I don't understand that. Because that's not how God thinks, Right? That's not even how God loves, because God loves you with the same love that he loves his son. Even Jesus talks about this in John 15, 21. He says, he who knows me and follows me is loved by the Father. John 15, 23, if anyone follows me and obeys me, the love of the Father is upon him. John 15, 9, Jesus kind of turns it and he says... The love that the Father has for me, Jesus says. I love you with that same love. Or 1 John 3, 1, see what great love the Father has on us lavished that we should be called children of God. I don't know the last time You spoke with your mom or your dad, particularly if you're an adult, sometimes it can be a day, sometimes it could be a year. For those of us who are the spiritual children of an almighty God, we have this, this access to him, which is not just daily, it's like every hour, it's like every minute, it's like every second, we call out, cry out, access, relate to God as Abba, Father. And so how do we respond to these things? This privilege of adoption. If you are an adopted son of God, if you've trusted in the Lord Jesus, how do, we, how do we respond to these things? Well, I've got four words for you. Turn, tell, show, and call. Four ways you might respond to this privilege of your spiritual adoption. Turn, tell, show, call. First, turn. If, if you're not an, a disciple of Jesus, If you're not a follower of Jesus, then you're not in God's family. This passage and many others, you are either an adopted son of God of the Most High, or you are not a son or a child of God. That means you are either in God's family by adoption, or you are not in God's family at all. And today could be the day. You know, today could be the day where you knowing this or thinking about this, where you turn to the Lord Jesus Christ and you say, Jesus Christ, I see what you've done for me on the cross and in the tomb and in rising from the dead. And today I trust you. I turn to you and I ask, Lord, Lord, save me. And today is the day that you could be placed into God's family through adoption, through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. Now, if you're not sure how to do that or all the details of that, don't worry. We have several hundred people here who would love to talk to you. Ask anybody, how can I become a follower of Jesus? And today, today, turn to Him. Number two, tell. Tell, now, if you are a follower of Christ, you're a disciple, you love the Lord Jesus, don't you want to tell people about this? Don't you want them to know how they can experience the life of God within them, all the benefits, what it means to be a follower of Jesus? Don't you want to describe to them what your life was like before and now what your life is like in Christ? This this new status, this this new access you have to God, this, this truly glorious thing that you are an heir of the King of Kings. Don't you want to tell them? Why not today? Ask God, who can I tell about what it means to be a son of God? Who needs to know? Maybe somebody in my family, maybe somebody with whom I work, maybe one of my neighbors. I can talk about this message. I heard this this weird message at church. They talk about how we're adopted sons of God. Can I tell you about it? Who needs to hear about that this week? Turn, tell, show. Maybe a, a way to tell people is even to show people God's generous heart. You know we want to show to the world the kind of love that god has shown us if we have been transformed if we've been adopted by him do we not want to show and express that same love to others so we're gonna we're gonna express that love usually in sacrifice usually through great pain through our own hardship we, we want to serve those who are marginalized those who are hurting perhaps those who are vulnerable now, this passage, like I said earlier, does not teach that every Christian must adopt a child. Right? That's human adoption. Adoption is a beautiful thing. It's a wonderful thing. Maybe consider doing it, but that's not what this passage is talking about. Right? This passage talks about God the Father adopting a multitude of people and placing them as his very son and loving them as his son. Now, because that's God's heart, I mean, we we'll talk about a heart of generosity, because that's God's heart. Don't we also want to share that kind of love and generosity with others? And so today, today, maybe think about today: who do I know in my context, in my family, in my work, who's hurting? Who needs an extra measure of love? and grace that i can show them because i want them to experience the generous love of god as i have experienced in salvation as i have experienced in adoption show display god's generous heart of love to those who are the weakest the most vulnerable those who are hurting who needs to hear that who needs to to be served perhaps by you and your family turn tell show and lastly, call. Call upon the Lord Jesus. Call upon through the Spirit of God your Abba, Father. Because we, we saw it here in the passage and we, we sang it uh, uh, just a few minutes ago and we're going we're gonna to sing it again. The, the God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts and we cry out, Abba, Father. And it reminds me of what Jesus called out of the Garden of Gethsemane in Mark chapter 14. He said there in great anguish and pain, Abba, Father. Today I know that there are many of you struggling, suffering, working through perhaps many hardships, maybe some issue of disunity, maybe some some challenge at work. Today is the day to call out to Him through the Spirit. Father, help. You call upon the name of the Lord Jesus. Call through the Spirit, with the Spirit, Abba, Father, for you have guaranteed this access to him. And he loves to hear you call out to him. Call out to him. Spend some time today crying out to the Lord, petitioning him in the name of the Lord Jesus and through the Spirit of God, for he loves you. Beloved, he loves you. He desires to bless you as his son, an adopted son of the most high God, just as he loves his one true son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Pray with me now. Father in heaven, we come to you in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. We are so thankful that Jesus has paid the price of our redemption that he lived in accordance to the law, fully satisfying your plan in the law so that he might redeem those of us who under the law could never fulfill or obey. Thank you, Father, for purchasing us, for, for buying us in and through Jesus. And not only that, Lord, it's not just that you've saved us, but that you've also then placed us in your own family knowing everything about us, everything that we've done, everything that we will do, Lord, you love us still. Thank you, Father. Thank you for this love that you've expressed and shown us in Jesus. Lord, help us today. Help my brothers and my sisters. Help young people and old to pause, to stop all the busyness, all the frenetic movement of life to sit at your feet in prayer and to cry out with the Spirit within them, Abba, Father. Today, Lord, we have access to you and we want to revel in who you have made us adopted sons. In and through the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.